Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humble abode of books. <sighs> Against the backdrop of this pandemic paradise where the quarantine ain't cute and ain't long enough, CDC talking about five days. Negro, please. Who are you talking to? Huh, they think I'm boo-boo the fool five days. Shit. Let me get corona. Son, I'll be out of work a month. <laughs> every sniffle, every irritated eye feeling. I, man, look, I ain't coming in today. I Look, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what to do with this country I live in, y'all. And I know, I know y'all feel the same way because you listen to my podcast. So we, we're... Right along the same lines of ideology and I just, there's a bittersweet feeling I have right now about acknowledging the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, I I feel like you're not allowed to even say this man's name. If you're against critical race theory. And you are never allowed to speak his name. If you're against critical race theory. And never read anything about critical race theory. It's like just shut up. Oh. You know I have this tradition. um, Ever since the movie came out. That on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. I watch I Am Not Your Negro. Um, which was a kind of a documentary um, about the last book that James Baldwin was trying to write before he died. And it is approximately 30 pages of a manuscript that, you know, was unfinished because of his untimely death due to cancer. But um, it's about his experience of grief in losing Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Dr. Martin Luther King. And I have the same feeling every time the movie ends. There is this 
void that I experience. And the void has everything to do with wondering what this world would be like had Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. survived. And James Baldwin, for that matter. What would, what would have occurred? What would have not occurred had these uh, four men, four American heroes, four American citizens, had they lived long enough to see today, to see present-day America? And would present-day America be different had those four men survived? Now, there's an astounding yes from me that yes, things would definitely be a lot different. But I often wonder if... I guess what I wonder is when I when I look at the after effects, you know, the last straw being um, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the subsequent evolution of the Black Panther Party. And I wonder if the Black Panther Party would ever have happened <clears throat> had Malcolm X and Dr. King not been assassinated. Would we have developed enough of the rage and anger that has gotten us to where we are now, which I believe was, you know, catapulted by the Black Panther Party, this, this self-determination this going against the grain that came from the rebelliousness of the Black Panther Party, would it have happened had Dr. King survived the 60s? I don't know. I guess we'll never know. But God, you know, I, I listen... I listen to James Baldwin talk. And you know... I will say this about technology. It has destroyed our ability to stand on our own two feet and say what is on our mind without it being rehearsed. You know, with text messages and DMs, YouTube, TikTok, we, we get to rehearse before we go live, before we go on, before we produce, you know. And I, I look at you know, clips from old talk shows with Dr. King and Malcolm X and Baldwin. And I'm like, they didn't get to rehearse before they answered a question. They had to live in their truth at all times. And you know, that's, I think that's one of the ill conveniences of, of modern technology is that it's almost as if the fights don't happen in real time. The, the debates and the arguments don't happen in real time because we get to think about what we're going to say and get back to them in a half an hour, in an hour, or the next day. You know, we stitch a video, we duet something, we respond on Twitter. But we don't have to do it right away. And so we're, we're given this, this, 
this space, this cushion to table important discussions until we get it right. And time was really, really of the essence when I think about the Black Power movement, when I think about the Civil Rights Movement. You had to have the answer right now. It, it had to come from your heart. It had, to, it had to come from your ideals. You were constantly having your morals and values challenged in daily conversation sometimes filmed, sometimes recorded for radio, but there was no time to get back to it. And I think that that's something that scares the hell out of a lot of us now. You know, even the thoughts of being in a job interview for these younger generations, they there's no preparation really, you know what I mean? You don't know what they're going to ask and, and you just better be ready for an answer. So it's like, you, you have to be in your truth. You know what I mean? You, you have to be able to know what you think and how to express that at any moment's notice. And I think that's something that's, that's being robbed from these younger generations with modern technology, you know, with having these opportunities to pause before you answer. I think that's why so many people don't take phone calls. They only want to text because they don't want to be put on the spot to have to answer something right then and there. And I guess that just blows my mind, you know, in so many ways. Because I, I I can't imagine not being able to respond to a question. You know, but I'm, I'm Gen X, you know what I mean? Like, cell phones came out, I was like 30 years old. So I had had time. <laughs> this, this woman had a, I think it was a shirt that says... Um, I don't argue with people who can't write and read in cursive. <laughs> I just thought that was like perfect, you know. Um, but, you know, when I watch uh, I Am Not Your Negro and I see James Baldwin standing up uh, during a debate at Harvard University and being able to hold his own, having no script having no reference points, just talking, you know, in a debate, being asked a question and, and having to drop the answer right there. And it's, it's, a, it's a dying art. It really is. It's a dying art to be able to speak freely and not worry about stumbling, not worry about making a mistake or a stutter. You just speak. And there was a, a voice that most people just never had, you know. And I, I think about the fact that even though James was, even though Baldwin was speaking his mind and saying I mean, prolific and brilliant things in response to questions and debates, he still hid his queerness on the public stage. He would talk about things and reference his wife or his children. Um, and I, I, I so admire the 
humility and the self-sacrifice that it must have took being well aware of the fact that the United States of America was nowhere near ready to embrace the queer community but Baldwin wanting to see black people free so bad shelved that fight for this one and that just blows me away you know how he he cut away a part of himself for the sake of so many and I think about Dr. King and I think about Malcolm X and I think about Medgar Evers and these people who cut away so much of themselves for the sake of others and those are just the the people in the you know in the light in the spotlight but you know when you think about Ella Baker and you know um you think about the the black women in the background you know um so many voices that They held, they, they held their tongues to get the work done. And I think some of that frustration has taken us as black people in the United States to this other extreme of sometimes flying off at the mouth and doing none of the work. And there's a middle ground somewhere in there. And I think it's important that black people say everything that's on their minds. Everything, all of it. But some of us have gotten to this place where we think as long as we spoke it and I said what I said and it's out there in existence, that's it, we're done. Like, I imagine a lot of people look at the Black Panther Party and all they see are the speeches. You know, they they see Fred Hampton, I am a revolutionary. And they, you know, they, they look at Dr. Angela Davis and, you know, Huey and, and they, they see the recordings and everything that they said, but, but they're not looking at, you know, the Black Panther Party came up with their own newspaper to support themselves as an organization. Um, you know, the, the breakfast program for kids, the, the free medical checkups. You know, for black people, the, the free clinics that they opened. It, there was work, man. There was a lot of work in the background. You know, everybody thinks that, you know, Malcolm just walked around giving speeches all day and talking to the press. They don't look at how he would go to obscure parts of different cities and open up new mosques, um, you know, and speak messages to people who had no idea who he was. You know, there, there, there was no internet in the 60s. You know, and these people, when they showed up in a different city, they weren't on the news in that city, at least not that much. And so it was like they had to reintroduce themselves every time they did this work. And work it was. And I think that... um I just think that it's, it's, I have a certain level of sympathy 
for the younger generations. Because they, they, they get to see actors. They get to see scripts. You know, watching YouTube videos and TikTok videos. And, you know, all of us are, are preparing to speak our minds, you know. And we pretty much think about what we're going to say before we say it. And we get ourselves dolled up and ready for it or whatever. <clears throat> but they missed out on seeing someone unapologetically as themselves. You know, when they spoke live, when they spoke on camera, that was a one and done. There was no redo. There was no do-over. And that makes everything that they said back then just that much more prolific. Because it was right off the dome, man. You know, with the exception of prepared speeches that were delivered here and there, what I'm talking about is... What would I say if someone was to walk up to me right now and say, John, what do you think the most difficult aspect of the black community needs to be fixed? I'd have to get back to you, man. But 40 years ago, 50 years ago, these people had answers right on the tip of their tongue, which means they were thinking about these issues daily and when i say daily i mean all day all night they studied the world around them came to conclusions about it you know sat on it pondered it and then verbalized it and that was not going to change and there's something so sad about that no longer being the requirement you know it's like now you get to practice what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and if that's how you really feel and I think that I don't know it's almost as if that causes a certain level of insecurity in, in our next group of leaders. And that maybe that's a reach. This is, this is just me kind of rambling about what I see on a daily day basis. You know? It, like, you ever ask a close friend, how are you? And they just look at you dumbfounded? Like, what do you mean? I mean, how are you? How, how, how do you feel? How, how's your state of affairs? How's your world? What's going on with you? How are you? Eh, you know. No, I don't fucking know. Tell me. Eh, you know, I have, you know, there's good and there's bad. Yeah, I know. I want details and specifics. And it's like, we are no longer prepared to have any conversation at any time. Not about willingness but just ability. We used to be able to feel on the spot. And now, I don't, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Y'all let me know in, in the comments if, if this makes sense, because I'm just... 
I think there was a certain um, magic. There was a certain magic in seeing a black man with the media in their face and asking, you know, what do you think the next steps are, Dr. King? Or, you know, Malcolm, do you really hate white people? And, and it was like, boom, on the spot. And you got to see someone who lives in their truth respond in seconds. And we don't have enough of that anymore. We don't have enough of seeing someone confident in their own values, willing to share their values and, and speak at a moment's notice, defending everything they believe in. God, that's, whew. Like, I, I just, I can't imagine people doing that now, you know? I'm sad I never got to meet James Baldwin. Like, I am really sad that I never got to meet James Baldwin. He was just... You know, I think back to when I was a child and there was something about, it wasn't something, I know exactly what it was. I was obsessed with Dr. King when I was a kid. Um, six, seven, eight years old, I was just obsessed. I used to read about him in, in encyclopedias and try to memorize his speeches and because I was also very Christian as a kid. And I thought Dr. King was the closest thing to Jesus Christ the world had seen. I mean, you know, as a little kid, what did I know? But I just knew, you know. And there was a part of me as a kid that swore that Jesus Christ did come back as Dr. King and they killed him again. And I believe that as a little kid. I remember my mother telling everybody she knew what I said to her. Because I remember telling my mother. And my mother just thought that was the deepest shit she had ever heard in her life. But I remember being absolutely traumatized when I spoke to my mother about Dr. King, you know, when I was young. And younger. And I remember my mother saying, they killed them because they could, John. They killed them because they could. Because they didn't want to have to change. They, it was just understood in the ghetto, they were white people. Um, and I couldn't wrap my brain Right? Because, you know, as a kid, you, you don't think much past a binary, right or wrong, up or down, left or right. And I thought, but this is America. This is like land of the free, the good guys, the ones who protected the Jews, the ones, you know, who fight the enemy. Why would we kill the most loving man in America? 
Why would anybody kill a man who believed that love was the way to run the country? I remember just as a kid that just frightened me to death, you know, like, I, I thought the same about Jesus. Like, why would you kill Jesus? You know what I mean? Like, it's the nicest guy on the planet. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why would anybody do such cruel shit to him? And, you know, it wasn't until I got, like, in my 30s when I realized all was well and good until you fucked with the money. You know, Jesus was just, you know, this you know, love spewing kook until he went down there to the synagogue and started flipping over them gambling tables. Then he had to go. And I think about um, Medgar and, and Malcolm and, you know, Dr. King and James Baldwin and, you know, um, I think about the Black Panther Party and Fred Hampton and and it's like, All children I have ever spoken to and from my own childhood, we believe in love as children. I mean, really believe in when we say I love you, that's, that fixes everything as a kid. And somewhere, I don't know if it was all the corporal punishment or parents coming home exhausted from working all the time, but definitely aspects of our society shave away this strong belief and faith in love for something more cosmetic like going to church every Sunday or going to masjid every Friday. And, you know, that's done. God's work is done. You know, you, you go, you pay your tithes, you go home. That's it. But there is something about living in this truth. If you really believe that love is the answer, you have to live in that truth. You have to show it all the time, you know? And I think about how society slowly, like taking one card off the deck and putting it in a new pile, shaves away, you know, 52 cards, 51 cards, 50 cards, 49 just slowly shaves away at our need or desire for love you know with scheduling and you know money and bills and you know pop culture and like <clears throat> distractions and and after a while, you know, the deck that was once 52 cards is only 32. And you didn't even notice. It happened so slowly, you know, just ever so gently. You know, these assassinations and then the dismantling of the Black Panther Party, then the crack epidemic, then the AIDS epidemic. Then, you know, we had the prison industrial complex. And it's like, here we are. And it feels like we only have one card left in this deck, man. And so many of us are angry.
So many of us are angry. I am. We all are. So many of us. We express it in different ways, but we have learned to waste our own time. We have been distracted so well for so long that our short-term memory, if it even lasts two weeks, man, it's a miracle. And we've learned to waste our own time going after Karens, debating on TikTok with some, you know, individual who has never cracked open a book in their entire lives and they'll say something like, well, slavery wasn't that bad. And then you have every TikTok academic and intellectual just going off on them in one way or another. And that's wasting our time. Like there are real, for real issues that we need to be working on. And it's almost, it's almost like taking the blue pill, man. How we could go off on a racist and TikTok and think the job is done. Think we actually have done something. And even Toni Morrison talked about the distraction of racism. I don't want to be distracted anymore. I don't want to be led astray from the work that needs to be done simply by being gaslit in social media. I just want us to get back to work, y'all. I want us to remember when you really think about Dr. King, you have to think about how little, what little time he spent with his family trying to spread this message. When you think about, you know, Malcolm, this man was never home, constantly doing this work. I think about Medgar, knowing he could be lynched for the work he was doing, risking his life and the life of his family, but confident, living in his truth, knowing he was better off doing things this way than following the status quo, than towing the line. So as a community, I think we need to figure out what issues we want to solve and stop wasting our time arguing with riffraff online. It's just my two cents for the evening, y'all. Sorry about ranting. I just had a lot on my mind. I hope you remember to love yourself. Love yourself today. And if you fall short, remember you can start your day over at any time. And uh, please consider subscribing to the podcast here at Anchor.fm because I could use subscribers. 99 cents a month. Think about it.